We're asking a broker what love's got to do with it whilst we die hard taking a selfie with the cocaine bear. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. So, welcome back to the show, and uh, we have got a plethora of new movies to talk about right now. Um, we're going to start with a romantic comedy starring Lily James, uh, who I absolutely love. So, there's part of me that hopes and prays that this is going to be a really good movie. Well, I mean, who doesn't love Lily James? She's adorable, right? And I am, I am happy to mark this out for you as yet another chapter in the cinematic universe that is Lily James Can't Get a Date. So, you know, this is clearly fiction. You know what I mean? One of those movies yeah. like, uh, what was was it yesterday, the Richard Curtis one, in which yes. Lily James is the sort of unnoticed, friend-zoned best mate, and you're like, well, clearly this is fiction. Clearly. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, what another one of those. But this one, this one is a bit more in the vein of uh, My Best Friend's Wedding, the sort of 1998 uh, uh, Julie Roberts rom-com but with a sort of British cross-cultural bent to it. So the idea is you have Lily James and her sort of platonic best friend, uh, played by Shahzad Latif, who I'll still always know best as being Ash Tyler from Star Trek Discovery. And um, he's um, he's a a practicing Muslim doctor who decides enough of the dating game, I'm going to give in to the cultural cultural, pressure on me from the family, also the culture that the family have imbued in me, I'm just going to go for the arranged route because I can see that I can see the plus sides in this. She then, it turns out, is an aspiring filmmaker and decides to chronicle all of this whilst also going through the entire character arc of Julia Roberts from My Best Friend's Wedding. Have a listen. Do you know what the UK divorce rate is? No. I found out. Uh, 50%. 55%. (laughs) And guess what it is for arranged marriages? 6%. Boom. Thing is, I've seen it work. I want my kids to have what I had, stability. And marriage isn't just about two people being nice. It's a bigger thing than that. It's about what's best for children and the whole family, society. Just say all that weird old-fashioned conventional <laughs> camera. No, it's so annoying. <laughs> if I win this rally, Ray, yeah. you're doing a film. <laughs> ah. Oh, yes! God. I love a good rom-com every now and then, but I don't like them when they get a bit sickly. Does this do that? I mean, to be honest with you, this hasn't got the charisma to be sickly. It's it's so lacking. It, it, it feels like such boilerplate rom-com writing with this, this attempt to infuse just a little bit more contemporary ennui, a bit more self-reflection than is usual in these things. And the problem is none of it quite comes together. You've got a script that just has no life, no spark to it. And that's that's surprising in the face of the talent that's in there, because this is not exactly short for talent, is it, this one? Well, no, absolutely that. I mean, uh, it, it's sound paper. It sounds like it's a great movie, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, I've just got my reservations with romantic comedies, to be fair, with, with ones that can generally slide into those moments where you're just kind of a bit, oh, make something happen that entertains me. Yeah, and that's the weird thing as well, because there are there were a few moments where I did have some like genuine laughs, but they were so fleeting, and, and you just felt that this this was just a, a very dour experience. The stuff I liked, I like like learning that uh, Emma Thompson really can uh, do the the traditional uh, Pakistan, uh, 
traditional uh, Pakistani wedding dance. I liked learning that. But I mean, she can, she can throw some shapes, that one. There is no end to uh, to Emma Thompson's talent. Uh, this is directed by Shekhar Kapoor, who gave us, you remember the Elizabeth movies with Kate Blanchett, the queen, that you did the two Queen Elizabeth movies, one in the late 90s, yes. maybe Elizabeth the first age, about 10 years ago. So Shekhar Kapoor has directed this. You wouldn't especially know that to look at it. There's a few moments of nice cinematography here and there in the more traditional uh, environments that he's framing. Um, script by Jemima Khan, of all people. Like, this is her, her screenplay debut. So, hmm. not quite sure to make of, of, of that one. I mean, that's going to be an interesting transition. I don't think it quite comes off, and I'm willing to blame a lot of the lack of character on that, because this feels like everything wrong with it is taking place on the page. Having said that, it's not the most culturally sensitive version of this that it could be, but it is, however, nice to see some diversity in this area. I will argue that East is East made, I think, better and more poignant, uh, made, made for a better and more poignant look at uh, inter, inter, interracial marriages in Britain. I think that did a better job, and that was 25, 24 years ago now, so it, it's interesting to, to feel so stunted. You know, so far after the fact, um, but it's it's fine. It's passable. I wouldn't say much more than that. I mean, it, it's not much in the rom, not much in the com, but there's just a faint hint for it to just about legally pass away. You know, classify with the the rom com label. So this is a, an ideal movie to go and see in the cinema if you're on a first date then, because it doesn't really matter if you miss a bit of the film and have a smooch, because it's not that good anyway. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I would never on a first date do a movie, but I think this would be the one I would pick because I know I'd be complaining about it. You'd have something to talk about afterwards. Like, you could be both be complaining about it. No, I kind of wish they'd done this. There's, there's, yeah, no, there's a lot about this that just frankly doesn't work. And it's it's attempt at mining plot contrivance as it tries to to you know lean so far into the character arcs that it sets up. The problem is it forgets that you don't especially care about those characters. That having characters exposit their drama is not necessarily enough, you know, for, for you to care or to be invested. And you do get like there's an entire family rift subplot in lurking in the background of this that's never really brought up to a place of of particular importance that when it starts to become you know when they when they when they start to insist that it is you feel surprised like oh that's that's going to be a thing because i feel like they did a better job setting up scrappy do in the in the 2002 james gunn movie and that's like a master class in how to do things in a single scene but no some of the stuff in this just it doesn't work it's not a well thought out enough screenplay it certainly hasn't got enough heart enough life just not enough character i mean say it has character exposition but not character depth would be about would be a good way of describing it would you say lily james uh, has been typecast in this is she the same character as she was in say yesterday yeah, has, has Lily James been typecast? We're talking about this <laughs> the third the third movie I've seen in as many years, I think, in which Lily James is the sort of unnoticed, friend-zoned, platonic BFF. So, is she typecast? Apparently so. I don't know how that's happened for her, but it would be like continuously casting DiCaprio as a loser. It would make no sense. But... You know, she's she's great, great fun in the role for for what little she has to work with. But the problem is, a, the moments when she's not getting to crack a smile, the moments when uh, she does get to sink into the character drama of it, it does become character exposition, and it it just doesn't quite work. It's it's a bad balance. It feels like what you would get if a novelist tried their hand at writing a screenplay without really thinking about adapting for the medium. 
Not pointing mm. any fingers, just putting that out there. How long is it? Is it is it too long? Oh, actually, do you inspired me to look that one up? Yes, it was. It did feel slightly too long because I I was expecting this to be about ninety minutes. It clocked in about uh, about one hundred and ten with credits, so it's like an hour and forty, and then you get your Ooh. credits on top. But it is one of those in which they play um, uh, like outtakes over the end credits, so you're kind of obligated to sit around. You're like, I feel like the sunk cost fallacy. I've been I've been on the seat for long enough that I feel like I kind of have to give you this. I will say as well, um, Asim Chowdhury. Uh, gets what I think is meant to be the, the scene-stealing uh, role. Of the, he is a highlight of it, um, enough for me to point him out, but I don't think he's the big breakout character that everyone's expecting from this. So Asim Chowdhury, as the, uh, the the Muslim marriage introduction kind of agent, is uh, is briefly quite a fun character for what little screen time he gets. So, you know, there's that in there. Rom-coms normally get a decent soundtrack that goes with them. Is this one of them? No, I don't think so. I mean, to be honest, this is this is mostly Pakistani and traditional music because a lot of it takes place on the journey to this wedding, you know, and in, in the furor surrounding this wedding. So it's not like one for the pop right. hit needle drops, I wouldn't say. However, that's only because I am not of Pakistani British origin. So obviously I would have no frame of reference for that. I imagine, however, <laughs> that if you did, this may well actually be full of bangers and I just know nothing, which is perfectly acceptable. Well, that is What's Love Got To Do With It and it is out in cinemas from today if you want to go and make your own mind up. Um, right, stay right there because we are going to be back with Selfie and also Broker, two movies that Van has seen and I haven't and we'll see what he thought about them in just a minute. Stay there. Hello and welcome back then, whether you're listening to us in the bath, in the gym, maybe in the car, maybe on the treadmill at the gym. Uh, Well, we are back with two more movies to talk about right now. Um, We're going to talk about Broker in a minute, but I know that Van Connor is chomping at the bit to talk to us about Selfie, which is uh, out in cinemas today. So sell it to me, Van. Well, I mean, also, I really want to know what it is you think about getting our audience into the bath, Adam. Always the bath with you. It's always, always the bath. <laughs> That's but... where I listen to my podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so fair enough. Well, I hope everyone is in the soapiest, fluffiest bubble bath imaginable for, for the benefit of Mr. Ball here. But yes, I, I've been really looking forward to talking about Selfie with you. Um, right. This is this is absolutely bonkers. Right. Brace right. yourself for this. I've been so looking forward to t- talking about this. Okay. So this is a new Bollywood movie uh, from from uh, Raj Mehta. I think this is his feature debut. Okay, it is about two and a half hours long because it's, you know, that's a Bollywood movie. They are all generally, traditionally long. Comes with an intermission built in because oh. Bollywood movies do genuinely make an evening of it. I kind of wish there was an interval coming into John Wick 3, if I'm honest. Right. So it stars Akshay Kumar and uh, uh, Akshay Kumar and uh, Emran Hashmi. Okay, as a movie star and a effectively DVLA employee, so like like the driver's license test instructor, the government <laughs> test instructor. Right, the test instructor. Um, uh, uh, Hashmi is is also the biggest fan of Akshay Kumar's character. Okay, I think he's Vish Kumar. I think the movie star's name is Vish Kumar. But picture him as a sort of Tom Cruise type, complete with the age. So he's kind of in his 50s, but he still looks great. Action star. Who I think we're led to believe is also a bit of a Jason Statham type for his known love of cars in his film. 
in his films. Okay, on one particular shoot, he needs to get a driver's license, in a new driver's license, having lost his previous one, in order to be able to film this incredible stunt, stunt sequence, this action set piece for his new movie. And he turns to his biggest fan, who happens to be like a driving, you know, the driving instructor for the for the DVLA, the, you know, I think the regional transport office or something like that. Uh, they have a misunderstanding that turns into an actual full-blown feud between them. And then because one of them is a Hollywood megastar, this goes viral before then becoming an outright news media rolling rolling CNN style media sensation. Okay? And the Hollywood star has to take his effect has to take his driving course to get his license. All whilst being covered by the media in the middle of this very public feud between these two men. All of which is shot, and I swear to God I'm not making this up, like a Michael Bay movie. It is absolutely deranged. I loved it. <laughs> oh, this sounds absolutely epic. I love the sound of this. This is, I mean, there's comedy moments with this as well, because it sounds like the perfect kind of, uh, I guess, perfect kind of story to go with plenty of funny moments and laugh out loud bits. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's like all the best kind of Bollywood tentpole blockbusters do tend to be, in my experience. They, they, it's that wonderful combination of really heightened, you know, Homer Simpson, Frank Grimes, conflict melodrama. But at the same yeah. time, those moments of levity. There's, 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 that little, there's always that lingering element of slapstick around at any moment kind of thing. It is that perfect balance. And it is the kind of thing that, to be fair, Bollywood tentpoles do better than any other kind of movie. It is that balance of all of those weirdly disparate tones into one still quite coherent movie. And don't get me wrong, I mean, you're not going to show this one to, you know, ten members of the British public and have one and have all ten slash 100% of them all come out and go, oh, that was a ride. But I think you might actually get a good seven out of ten of them to do it, because this was really good fun. Imagine actually seeing someone taking their driving test as if it was staged and shot by Michael Bay. It is absolutely nuts. Great time. I thought the the two leads were really well cast. I particularly like uh, Ashe Kumar as Vish Kumar. I thought his playing it as a sort of Tom Cruise type, I thought worked well. I thought it was really well cast. I thought that was, I think, the more difficult of the two roles because I think you could tip that one over so easily. Whereas I, I think you know uh, Hashmi's character is a, a little bit more straightforward to get. There's an earnestness that comes naturally to that to that performance. And to be fair, he does deliver it in spades. I thought this was a real surprise. This this came out of nowhere and really shocked me this week. I I, I mean I know you're not really one to rush out and catch the the next you know, the next big Bollywood uh, tentpole blockbuster, but uh, I, I I can recommend this one for you. Selfie, in cinemas from today. It's really good. I had a really good time with it. I would watch this again. When you label a movie bonkers, kind of makes me want to check it out myself. So um, I think yeah, nobody gets that. out of a car in this movie without it being in like ramp down slow motion. You know what I mean? Nobody. <laughs> Brilliant. I really like the sound of it. It's out in cinemas today. Look it out for it. Uh, selfie doubly at the end. Um, all right. So let's talk about Broker, which is, isn't this about babies being dropped off in boxes? Yeah, so this is the, the, there's, there's a cultural element to this that we may not get, uh, right? Which is in the South Busan uh, family church, basically their orphanage. There is literally a baby deposit box 
where mothers can literally oh. just pull down like a packaged livery slot and, and abandon their baby and the babies are to be looked after. And the idea is that there is a, a sort of support structure set up, like there's cameras watching the box and the staff are told that if you see the box move, you have to go outside and try and talk to, talk to the mother before she leaves. And we are introduced to a young mother who deposits her, not so much deposits her baby in the box, but leaves her baby in front of the box. This becomes quite an important distinction, along with a note saying, I will come back for you one day. Uh, several days later, she returns to, uh, to to the family church, having changed her mind, and asks, where is my baby? And they have no record of this baby because this baby has been intercepted by one of the, one of the staff members at the clinic and his friend, a, a laundress, played by uh, Song Kang-ho from Snowpiercer and Parasites. So uh, sort of a lucky charm for Bong Joon-ho. Uh, definitely his, his chief alumni, I think, now. And uh, the idea is that they are trying to give the kids... They are told that the, uh, they're giving the kids better lives by basically basically selling them to families that outright want them rather than leaving them in the, for a life in the orphanage. The mum comes back and is forced to be told this because she's kicking up enough of a fuss and then decides to involve herself in the quest to seek out the best paying adopting aspiring adoptee family for her son and what then follows is a sort of deranged little miss sunshine style road trip in which you've got these three adults and the baby and a kid from the orphanage who san kong ho uh, uh, kang ho's uh, characters just sort of befriended and they all just going on this road trip trying to find the best price for this baby yes it's uh, it, it sounds quite dark doesn't it when you say it out loud it really does. I mean, I was about to say, is it a bit emotional? But I, I'd definitely go with it dark. Is. But I mean, it is dark and it is emotional. And it, it, it's, it is all about, you know, it's about orphans. It is about, you know, children growing up, growing up without parents and about, you know, which is the better option for them within this scenario. But I say it is played out with that sort of con artist road movie like a Little Miss Sunshine kind of a feel at the same time. Um, I, 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 I like this very much. I thought the performances uh, were absolutely terrific. Uh, Song Kang-ho is, you know, close to my heart because of Snowpiercer, obviously. I mean, I love Parasite, and Parasite's one of the best movies of the last, you know, you know, five years or so, hands down, sure. But, you know, Snowpiercer, man. The, guy, the guy's a Snowpiercer, so he's got my undying respect and love to Song, uh, Song Kang-ho. I also like uh, Gang Dong-won, uh, who plays, uh, who plays, in fact, the lead of the piece. Of the, of the two men, he's the more prominent of the two. And I think despite getting a little bit of a predictable kind of backstory, kind of crowbarred in later in the game, it works quite well, and he, he, manages, to, he manages to play out that, play that earnestness rather perfect, uh, earnestness, rather perfectly sorry um but yeah I, I think this was really good uh, i think this is uh written and directed by uh hirokazu karida who's uh, i forget what karida's last film was actually but uh, written and directed by, by uh hiroki karida and um i say it's out today it's really good i i was blown away by it and to be fair i was already sold on on sankang uh sankang ho being uh, being being front and center you had my money at that to be honest well time well spent i would say little slightly on the long side i think it clocks in about two hours but uh, time well spent all right well there you go broker out in cinemas from today if you want to uh, give it a go and make your own mind up okay we are going to be back in a moment when van will describe to me what it was like sitting in the cinema watching a bear on cocaine cocaine bear is next stay right there
Hello and welcome back to Off Screen. We are back and we have got another new movie to talk about right now. Uh, let's dive straight in at the deep end. Cocaine Bear, out in cinemas from today. Kind of self-explanatory in a way. Kind of, kind of. You're hoping like Paddington's just having a wild weekend or or Winnie, Winnie the Pooh's dropped an eight ball kind of thing. Uh, but uh, no, this is, this is, believe it or not... This is based loosely on a true story. Now, it's one of those where they say inspired by true events because that's probably mm. closer to the actual reality of it. Okay, in reality, a drug runner dumped a number of bags uh, of another of ident- identical duffel bags of cocaine from a plane over the Kentucky forest in the mid-1980s. He then died tragically when his chute failed to open. As uh, as this cocaine rained down, some of it found its way into the mouth of a black bear. This bear was then discovered having died horribly after, you know, from a number of you know a number of you know increasingly mounting conditions like massive strokes, cerebral embolism, his heart exploded, things like that. However, that's the reality of it. The bear was then stuffed and put in. I think it was the Chattahoochee uh, Ranger Station. Was then lost and found its way into a shopping mall a few. years years ago so the cocaine bear is real okay we've now got a movie that imagines what might have happened between (laughs) the cocaine leaving the plane and the bear dying okay so you've got this this event that is set within this almost pulp fiction like story that's got different characters and how they all descend upon this forest for different reasons all tied to the cocaine and all crossing paths with the bear and this takes place between those two the two real points so it is inspired by true events amongst the people descending on this forest you know mid-90s american forest into which a cocaine adult bear is on a rampage uh, you have two young kids who have been ditching school, who've gone to, you know, paint the waterfalls. And, and mum, Kerry Russell, who's a single mum nurse, is, you know, there with the rangers trying to find them. You've got the uh, the drug smugglers associates as well, played by O'Shea Jackson Jr. and Alden Ehrenreich, who are on the trail of what's left of the drugs so that they can report back to their boss, Ray Liotta, in what, by the way, is his final on-screen performance. So, you know, R.I.P. Ray Liotta great to see you on last time uh you also have a cop played by isaiah whitlock jr who's also descending upon the forest on the trail of the drugs on on the in the hopes that it will lead him to ray Liotta's character as well and i've got a clip for you and this is what happens when uh one of the missing kids turns up and is forced up one tree whilst one of the park rangers is forced up another and a cocaine bear descends upon them have a listen where is it? Hey! What should I do? There's something wrong with it. Yeah, I told you there was. Why is it acting like this? Did you feed it cocaine? No, but you're safe. Bears can't climb trees. Of course I can! Then why are you up here? I've got to say, reading the synopsis to this made me chuckle slightly because I read the part where it says, where a huge black bear goes on a murderous rampage. I kind of then went, but that's normal for a black bear, is it? (laughs) 
Well, we do get told at the very beginning of the movie uh, in what's actually a Wikipedia quote, they actually credit, because it's quite an anachronistic film. Um, it's got a Wikipedia quote at the beginning that tells you that, uh, you know, a brown bear you should attack, uh, a uh, you should run away from, a black bear you should actually attack, that you're more likely to survive the attack if you actually fight back. Oh, uh, so we, we're given sort of assigned roles, and that's the interesting thing about this, because there is uh, there is a dichotomy at work here within this film. Now, for the most part, it, it's perfectly fun and enjoyable. I didn't quite get the great time I was hoping for with it, but I got a pretty good time. So I got like a three and a half star kind of a time. I got a one and a half thumbs kind of a time out of it. Um, it's it's a film that has been it's been thought out enough. But I don't think he's, at the same time, I don't, I, I don't think he's trashy enough to work. You've got a film that, like I say, it lays out its rules nicely. It sets itself up as a sort of Jaws with the sensibilities of snakes on a plane kind of an idea. But then at the same time, it's just directed like it's set in the, it could be set in the present day for all it does with its period setting, for how it's shot, for how it looks, for how the camera moves. And you, you, you suddenly start to think about like why Stranger Things is the success it is, for instance, because it utilizes more 80s style conventions that fit its setting. It, it is more, the style in which it's presented is more immersive to that setting. And this feels like a quite a juxtaposition at times. And a lot, I say, the humour would, would still work within that within that trashier grimy aesthetic even though some of the humor is quite contemporary it is quite 20th 21st century kind of edge a lot later 20th century kind of infused but it would still have worked in spite of that and he, it just feels overproduced i do think it makes for a fitting farewell for you know the late great radiota I think it's the perfect role to send Henry Hill out on because I think Henry Hill going out on the role of, you know, the dealer in a movie called Cocaine Bear is just phenomenal. Like, in, in a week in which we've said goodbye to Bruce Willis as well, you know, for different reasons. Obviously, he's, you know, gone off to live his life. And, um, it's, it, there, was, there was something of an, an emotional moment to that, an emotional beat to that as well. I think we had the the BAFTAs in memoriam as well, so I think at the same time, because I think Ray Liotta was credited in the BAFTAs in memoriam uh, for the past year. Bernard Cribbins wasn't, but Ray Liotta was, so seeing his final role be uh, the day later. Um, I liked this. I don't think it's got the rewatchability of Snakes on a Plane, certainly not Jaws. Uh, so I don't know if you'd watch it a second time, but I think you'd watch it once. You'd probably quite like it. And there's, there's enough like gruesome, gory kills and things like that, enough shocking moments. There's a secret to the ambulance that's really great. I mean, are you excited to see this yourself already? Uh, I am, but you, from what you've said about it not being set in the 80s, in my head, that was how it was going to be. And, and mm. therefore, I built my kind of idea up of, of that. But I guess, in retrospect now, thinking about it, was it not set in the 80s because of technology that wouldn't have been invented then that was used in it in this movie? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, it is set in the 80s, but but it's so that's, that's so immaterial to the movie. Right. Like, you don't really get a sense of that. This could be set now. For, right, for, all, for all it matters, it could just be set now, except for a few dated, like in pop culture, sort of dated pop culture jokes that they've put yeah. in, like to specifically age it to that point. But like, say, you could literally set this today and just be like, oh, they're out of signal range, you know, or something like that. And it would work perfectly well. I just, and it's again, it's shot like a 21st century film. Like, I mean, What's I'm, the I'm bear all like? for. The bear is CGI. 
and right, you okay. can you, you can tell you you can blatantly tell you're watching CGI. But to be fair, that is kind of part of the fun, and that does work with like I say, it's snakes on a plane like sensibilities, like that sort of humor. It's worth knowing it is going for that level of sort of potty mouth, that level of sort of like kind of reined in gore as well. I mean, this is bloodier, I think. But some of the death sequences are just terrific fun. And I will say, I quite liked Alden Ehrenreich as well in this. I gave him a lot of grief for uh, Solo, for being absolutely terrible in Solo, a Han Solo, mm. the Han Solo movie. Solo, a Han Solo story? Solo, a Star Wars story. And I gave him a lot of grief for that because he is spectacularly crap in there. But, you know, I do like him in uh, Hail Caesar, the Coen Brothers movie. And I think he's very good here as well. I think he's uh, he's actually, there's something of a redemptive performance for him here for me in this. Uh, Shea, O'Shea Jackson Jr., though, Ice Cube's son, who, like, looks and sounds exactly like his dad did 30 years ago. Um, I'm really starting to enjoy whenever he turns up in a movie. He is just good fun. He made me think back on uh, Ingrid Goes West. Uh, seeing him in this. It's always good to see him in the movie. Was there uh, ever any moments in this where you were actually kind of jumping off your seat? Because that's how I would envisage this movie being oh, yeah. a successful one. Oh, yeah. There's, there's, there's some, some wonderful... Like, the, the ambulance sequence I've mentioned. There is a sequence with an ambulance, and it is ruined in one of the trailers. Uh, but there's a sequence with an ambulance that by the time they get to it, they have just earned the hilarity, and it's just absolutely nuts. Like I say, it's a movie called Cocaine Bear, and it in no way disappoints. <laughs> it, it, no way, it, it does not in any way fail to live up to the potential of a movie entitled Cocaine Bear. Like, they knew what they were doing in that regard. You just wish they'd made it look a bit more like VHS stock at times, and, you know, maybe shot it in 4 by 3 ratio and things like that. Like, really given this some auteur, you know, thought, given this some, like, you know, grindhouse porn, you know, kind of a sensibility to it. And I think you'd have had some, you'd have had a real five-star masterpiece with this one. But as it is, I think you've got something that... It'll be a pop culture joke for five minutes, but we'll, we'll history will remember this the same way it remembers Snakes on a Plane. Like, people will forget. Well, there you go. If you want to watch it to them, forget about it. Cocaine Bear is out in cinemas from today. Uh, we are back in a moment where we are going to look at Die Hart, the movie. Uh, Kevin Hart, that's what this is all about. And we'll talk about it with Van in just a second. Stay there. So we are back for one last ride. We're going to stick with uh, another brand new movie out this week, which is, uh, I laugh every time I say the title. <laughs> I wonder how long it took them to come up with this. Die Hart, the movie. And that is because this is following a fictionalized version of Kevin Hart. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the thing. Okay, so Die Hard. I should explain. You said it's, it's another new movie. It's actually not. I mean, technically it is a new movie, but it's not new material. So this was all released two, three years ago now on the short-lived Quibi platform. Do you remember Quibi, the, the short uh, form? Yeah, yeah, they made this. It was 10 episodes long, about 10 minutes an episode. And what they have now done in the wake of, you know, selling all, all of Quibi's assets, because Die Hard got relatively decent ratings for them, there is demand to have a second series. However, before they can do that, in order to introduce the content to new audiences prior to giving them a second season, they have elected to edit this together as a movie and put it out. So it follows Kevin Hart as Kevin Hart, who is told, if you want to be taken seriously as an action star, the only way the industry is going to let you do that is if you go to action school. And the only way you'll get this, <laughs> this coveted role from this, you know, James Cameron-like, Michael Bay-style action auteur is if you go to action school. 
Specifically, an action school run by a maniac played by John Travolta, who claims to have been the, the genius behind basically every action star that we want. So at one point, he mentions his friend, Charlie Norris. You know him as Chuck. You know, he says uh, things like that. His alumni include, you know, Oscar-winning actor Matt Damon, uh, Matt Damon uh, as, as they describe him, Oscar-winning actor Matt Damon, and uh, also Josh Hartner, who actually turns up here to play himself, an alumnus, uh, sort of an alumnus, a, gra- a graduate of the, uh, of the action school himself. So it is Kevin Hart going to this action school that he then is not entirely convinced is safe and that actually there is a scanner thought to kill him and make it look like an accident. Is it that? Is it all just a game? You'll have to watch and find out. Have a listen. My whole life, I've dreamed of becoming an action hero. Claude Vandeveld, director of four of the six biggest action movies of all time, wants to meet with you. I'm there. My next project requires a serious, gritty actor. You, Kevin, I want you in the leading role. Holy Welcome to Ron Wilcox Action Star School. I'm Ron Wilcox. What the hell happened? That was your first lesson. Rule number one, you are forbidden from visiting the outside world. You'll stay here. Okay, I get it. I mean, Kevin Hart never fails to make me laugh, really. He's got great comic timing, and he's just... I just have to look at him, and it makes me laugh, if I'm honest. I think the problem with with this is it now. I mean, the movie itself is is quite meta, but the problem is, for it for its meta commentary to work, it's it's dig that it takes it's big dig that it takes at Kevin Hart, which is you're always the sidekick, never the action star. You know, it, the problem is it would have to have anything funny to say about that, or we would have to not really be in on the joke. And the problem is that we're very aware. I mean, it's not it's past being a joke. It, it's it's not a joke. It's just counting. You know, it's just a statement of fact. Water is wet, the sky is blue, Kevin Hart is always the psychic in action movies. This isn't very funny. Those are a series of facts. Um, mm. it, it, it's quite slapdash. It, it, it feels like, this feels like a first draft of an action comedy. There's a moment in which, you know, uh, Josh Hartnett turns up and, and gives his Hollywood action credentials as, you know, say, oh, I did, you know, I did Pearl Harbor and I did Hollywood Homicide. He's like, if you're counting Hollywood Homicide as like an action movie, then dude, come on, we're, we're clearly all in the wrong game. Uh, Natalie Emmanuel, I quite enjoyed as the sort of sidekick slash love interest type figure in this. They try to do a little bit more with her there, but there's not really much except for making it about 10% more of a hard ass than they would have maybe five years ago. Um, but again, it just all feels so perfunctory. We've seen so many phoned-in Kevin Hart action comedies. This feels about on par with, this feels of a lesser quality than Ride Along 2. In terms of how much of a just, you know, we've done a first pass on the script, just get it out the door, get it shot, get it in quick. And the fact that it was in 10 minute chunks, I think was a mask and an excuse for them to really not try very hard. It's uh, directed for the screen by uh, Eric Apple, I think both in his original form and for the new form. Eric Apple, who uh, worked on, amongst other things, New Girl and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. The average episode of either of which is better directed, I would say, than this movie. This It just feels, I say, really boilerplate. A lot of it is quite perfunctory. Every plot beat and movement to it feels telegraphed in way in advance. It feels like a movie cobbled together from pieces that were meant to be watched on a mobile phone, a mobile phone, you know, in, in portrait mode, at which I think is what it actually is. So fair play to them. I say that's, that's Die Heart the movie. It's out today. It's one for the heart completists only. 
<laughs> I was going to say, it sounds to me like you've got to be a Kevin Hart fan to really enjoy this. But yeah, you said it for me. Um, all right. Well, uh, that's all we've got time for this week. As far as new movies go, we will be back on Friday next week when we're going to be looking at Creed 3. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, oh, oh, it's, it's, it's yeah. the first one of these. It's going to be the first one of these without Rocky Balboa in it, which is going to mm. be sad. You know, we're all going to have to make peace with it and move on. But, uh, you know, it's it's Creed, man. I can't wait. There's a new Creed movie. Uh, Women Behind the Wheel is next week. I don't know anything about that one. Uh, Fashion Reimagined, which I think is being uh, handled by Netflix. Project Wolf Hunting is out next week, along with I'm Fine, thanks for asking, and Electric Malady, which I believe is about a family who have to go and live off the grid because I think they're getting, they believe that they're getting affected by Wi-Fi signals or electric signals. So that one should, wow. be, uh, that should be fascinating. Go from Creed. Creed 3 to that is going to be quite the spectrum yeah. next week, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there's a load of good movies. I, well, I keep it sounds... interesting for you, don't I? I try and keep it interesting for you, Mr. Ball. You do, and there's a load of movies out that potentially sound like they could be interesting. We're not going to know until you've seen them all. So you've got a busy week, and uh, we will see you next week. This is Off Screen. I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. <laughs> 